It's time. It reminds me a little bit when we went paintball shooting. To talk candidly. I hope it goes better than that. Are you ready? I have to change my bank questions now. Live from Arlington, Virginia. Gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs, babies, and great big Bengal tigers, welcome to Candidly, a Blackstone Federal podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Elder, and with me as always on the ones and twos making it happen is Nick Hansen. And introducing, for the first time, welcome to Candidly, Madison Wilkins on the board making the sounds. Today I've got uh, very special guests here. Uh, we're going to, as we approach the Thanksgiving holiday and we think about family, we've got a very special opportunity to have a little bit of family here on the Blackstone Federal podcast and Candidly, Chris Zeke and his father, Wayne Zeke. Welcome aboard, guys. Thanks, Pat. Woo! Thank you. Uh, so uh, just by way of intro, let's, uh, let's just start off and tell us about yourselves. Uh, Chris, do you want to start? Okay. Um, so my name's Chris Zeke. Um, I joined Blackstone in 2016 as a senior management consultant um, and now support our teams as a portfolio director um, across multiple contracts, uh, all within one customer space. Um, as this company has grown, I've been uh, fortunate enough to grow with it and to be challenged uh, and supported by my teams, uh, federal leadership, uh, and then also, very importantly, through a lot of uh, telebeers, uh, <laughs> through conversations with my dad to uh, help me succeed in that role. So I think uh, this is a great opportunity to talk about some of those life lessons. Excellent. And that sigs right into uh, the usual. So. Well, thank you. It's a op great opportunity to be here. This is my first podcast. Uh, Chris, it reminds me a little bit when we went paintball shooting. And uh, you shot me, and you made my friend that had uh, been serving in Nam had some flashbacks. So <laughs> I, I hope I hope it goes better than that. Uh, uh, I've been blessed with a great career uh, with IBM Global Services from the onset. Uh, started in 1982, uh, joining IBM Federal Systems Division in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Uh, I've had a multiple. Uh, set of opportunities that span marketing, design, development, uh, implementation, and operation uh, around large systems integration. And uh, the first contract that I worked on uh, in 1982 was a very highly classified top secret program. Uh, you probably heard of it. It's called GPS. <laughs> and uh, IBM was the prime contractor uh, for the command and control telemetry of the satellites and the data for the uh, triangulation of your location. And so we, uh, I, I was in a role of subcontract acquisition management, and that really was a, uh, a fancy name for procurement. Uh, I more or less was not really a procurement engineer, but spanned the disciplines between engineering and contracts and worked with the vendors to make sure that their product was being developed in accordance with requirements and specifications and delivered on time and on budget. In 1990, I, uh, I uh, relocated to Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I had opportunities to help uh, build out uh, IBM Global Services as we know it today. Uh, I focused specifically on the Alabama, Mississippi, Mississippi and Florida trading area uh, to bring um, the concept of services to IBM. IBM, prior to 1990, outside of the Integrated System Solutions Corporation, which was our large outsourcing company, uh, you delivered a product, you got a, a, uh, an engineer with it for free. So here was a culture of engineers and professionals that their entire career uh, got delivered with the product. And here I was trying to change the culture and the understanding that they were worth value. They were worth a fee, not free. That was quite a challenge for a lot of, a lot of old Southern people, for sure. <laughs> uh, in 1993, um, as we began to build out the consulting organization, I was fortunate to receive a letter from a company in, in Germany. It's called Mercedes-Benz. And uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, uh, Mercedes had just announced they were going to build a plant in the United States, and they had call, called IBM, and they had selected uh, Tuscaloosa area as uh, the location of their first assembly plant. And I was receipt of the, of the RFP. Unlike a government RFP, it was one page. It said, please help. <laughs> <laughs> 
Really? And so uh, built the team, uh, uh, lived in Germany for two years. It was very exciting to live there, to flush out the business processes for the entire factory, from order entry to, you know, on the back end to, uh, to the assembly. And it, it spans product development, marketing and sales, engineering research, uh, order entry, planning, controlling, uh, shipping, uh, things like foreign trade zones, all, all kinds of really cool stuff. But uh, that really got me to become an automotive consultant because up to that point, I, I, I drove a car. <laughs> and I read a book called The Machine That Changed the World out of a professor that was out of MIT. And uh, it, it gave me a, a wonderful sense of, boy, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in the world if you just take a risk. And so I would have been blessed with the opportunities to, to get risk, to build skills, to capitalize on those skills, to look for new opportunities in an entrepreneurial way that would help me have some upward mobility. So my career is, uh, went from federal to commercial and went back to federal and ran a large program at NASA uh, out at the uh, Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville. Uh, it was basically evolved around the SAP uh, support and support of all the subsystems that uh, the engineers use as they design the rockets and rocket engines up there. Then back to D.C., kind of in the modern era, uh, I was responsible for uh, the federal civilian agencies. Uh, that would include things like NIH, NOAA, uh, Postal, uh, IRS uh, in a delivery capacity and to make sure that our delivery teams were organized, delivering, and uh, making happy customers because that's what it's all about. So that's a long thing, but I'm an old man with a lot of stuff to say. I mean, that's, that's great context because we're going to cover a lot of things here, and we, we certainly want to tap all of that experience that you have, Wayne, so thank you very much for that. Uh, I think one of the first things that we wanted to talk about because you have such a wealth of knowledge to provide uh, something that I think we can identify here with Blackstone being a you know overall pretty young company uh, is talking about career development. So uh, this is something that Chris and I had, had talked about, and uh, you know I'd like to have Chris introduce the topic and, and give your perspective. And yeah, I think one of the really exciting things about Blackstone is um, how diverse our teams are, from age to experience to uh, background to interest outside of work, um, and we're constantly pushing people to look for new ways to innovate and improve and. Uh, learn from each other and to deliver better for both Blackstone and for our our customers. Um, we've got a lot of a lot of different contracts and different missions, and they all have some level of interconnectivity to each other. Um, but uh, Dan, I I know you didn't uh, go to school to become a consultant, but um, yeah. if you could share uh, your your perspectives on what it takes to be a a good consultant and what that means. You're right. I I. Uh... I went to the excuse me, University of Alabama uh, in Huntsville and uh, had a major in psychology with a minor in chemistry and math, and I thought I was going to become a psychopharmacologist. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't even tell you what that is now. Uh, but anyway, uh, I realized that I, I got out of school like most kids getting out of school. You take a trip. Well, I went to Key West. That was a mistake. <laughs> but... I missed applying for the GRE and getting into grad school. Is this something we can pull the thread on on the After Hours podcast? We probably could. But what I did do was find a job in an area of interest to me, which is small business. It was actually a, a, a power transmission electrical, electrical mechanical company that uh, was there in the area of Huntsville that delivered to many customers, uh, including commercial and federal. And I got to learn uh, some federal jargon, like FAR, things like, <laughs> like that, proposals. And, and uh, uh, that helped me um, get into IBM. Honestly, they were looking in the procurement organization for an uh, experienced uh, individual that could uh, understand the FAR and write proposals, write statements of work. And I had done that on a mini scale. Nothing as complex as you see in federal, but uh, having having not knowing what I was wanted to be a consultant probably was a blessing because 
it, it forced me to learn new skills and, and, and to never stop learning. This, in fact, I'm learning right now how good I'm going to be or not going to be at a podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, it, it's interesting, Chris. It's an interesting question. Um, you know, based on your experience and uh, talking about how you, you started in one place and, and ended up something really different than where you started and what you thought you might be, uh, were there any kind of, of life lessons? Like you, you talked about learning and constantly learning. Were there other things that you picked up on, you know, in that process of, of continually yeah. learning in, in your career that, that you think was, you know, yeah. something we can Yeah, I build think on? Uh, professionally growing and improving your soft skills, that's to me, to be a successful consultant, the soft skills are as much or more important than the hard skills. You were hired as a consultant because you had a specific set of skills. It's good to learn, grow those skills, maybe branch out and learn something a little bit more uh, deeper into that technology or spread your wings and go a little bit further. But growing those uh, soft skills uh, over your hard skills was a priority for me, Being more ex becoming more extroverted and quite frankly, finding a mentor, a mentor either in the company or outside of the company that can help you uh, over a dinner, over a beer, uh, give you some good pointers and some good lessons. And uh, that, was, that was helpful for me. Chris, any, uh, any thoughts from your uh, career here at Blackstone that you can add on there? Do you use Wayne as a mentor um, oh. solely for that purpose, or, or do you get you know, all kinds of advice? Yeah, we get... All kinds of advice on a range of topics. Uh, <laughs> leave some of those off. The, uh, yeah, I think um, a lot of times we have a frustrating day uh, for whatever reason. Um, being able to pick up the phone and call somebody and talk to them about, hey, you've been through this. What have you heard? Um, you know, even earlier on outside of uh, talking with, with Dad, um, him pointing me to other, other people in the industry and profession and saying, hey, this is a guy who you should talk to. Um, he's been through exactly that. Talk to that person. Um, they're going to have better insight. Um, and, and just watching how uh, important those connections can become uh, for learning is uh, really valuable to me. And I, I you know, heard Wayne talk about the soft skills, and I feel like that's something you're particularly polished at uh, at a young age. Is that something that you felt like you, it, you know, it was instilled early that you wanted to work on, or was that just a personality trait? Uh, it's been, been a bit of a struggle, actually. So uh, <laughs> if I look back at even the, the 10 years that I've been doing this, um, being extroverted and, and being comfortable um, advocating for myself and teams has been a, a thing that I've had to work on. Uh, being able to take the reins, uh, to communicate clearly about um, what your team needs, what you need, uh, where you want your career to go. Uh, for a while, I was kind of in project roulette, mm -hmm. where whatever the, the boss said, that was the project I was going to do, and I didn't have the, um, the, I guess, the foresight to think, hey, I should take more ownership of, of where I am. And I think that's one big difference for me here at Blackstone is I've been given those opportunities to um, direct my own uh, trajectory. That's, I mean, that's awesome. I, I think, you know, any, uh, any thoughts from, from either side, you know, advice that you would have for someone that um, perhaps recognizes that soft skills is something they want to improve upon? Are there, you know, exercises? Are there certain things that you keep in mind when you try to, you know, improve that or polish that, continue to do that kind of thing? I think one of the, one of the things that I learned um, early on was to be what I call a chameleon communicator. And by that, I mean to adjust your, your uh, speaking and your gestures to the person that you're talking to. Uh, that if you're talking to a line worker, you'll use a certain sense uh, of speech mm -hmm. and behavior with a line worker as compared when you're talking to perhaps an assembly manager or a, a CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, so the ability to move an up and down the hierarchy of communication uh, and exuberant, exuberant confidence mm -hmm. in all those discussions is, is important. Uh, you know, you asked me what, what does it take to be a good consultant? And I think you have to, as a consultant, um, portray the values and the policies first and foremost of your company as a professional. You're committed to the company, and then you need to be highly committed and solely focused on one thing. And we all know what that is. That's the customer. 
focusing on that, com that customer. And if you don't like helping customers succeed, you're in the wrong business. And you need to be able to think on your feet, uh, take risk, uh, and absorb positive and negative feedback along the way from your client as well as from your peers. Uh, listening is so important in the business of consulting, uh, more so than actually speaking. And when you're out there looking for opportunities to succeed and excel, excel uh, listening for uh, the breakdowns that you would, would see or hear physically in the organization or in conversations or in a business process uh, and being able to pinpoint those and have a frank discussion with a, uh, the performer in that link of process is so important. And again, wh where that link is will drive your chameleon communications. I really like that. I mean, I think, um, you know, in, in the work that we, we're in, the space that we are, you know, taking care of the customer is so very important, something that I think at times uh, can be lost because, uh, you know, as a company, there's certain messaging and goals that we're trying to accomplish that you're getting. You're getting some stuff from your customer. You're getting stuff personally. You're trying to put all this stuff together. How do you prioritize it? How do you make it all mesh together? Uh, Chris, any thoughts on, on how you try to do that um, in your day-to-day? -day? Well, it's a... He said constant, constant shift. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think it's, it's all that different. Um, you know, within, within our group, um, the particular teams that I'm supporting, um, there are so many interconnections in the mission that the customers have. And I would say the number one challenge that we face as a team is, um, is communications, you know, with each other. Um, and that's just due to the nature of the business and how quick the government wants us to move um, and how quick uh, requirements change and how dispersed we are. We have distributed teams. They're not always on the same cadence and schedule. Um, and so working to overcome those challenges um, is pretty important. So, Yeah, that's a great point. I think, um, you know, we, we talked about a lot of the theme that we've talked about so far is really communications and relationships. And, um, you know, I think because we are distributed, because of the way that we do work now, because there's so much that we can do that we don't have to actually be sitting in the same place. You know, things are different, but still the same, and, and that communication is important. Uh, Wayne, in your experience, um, when you were working with different kinds of people from assembly line workers to, to CEOs, um, you talk about that communication and making it work. What are the things that you saw throughout your career that were always the same? Um, I talked earlier about when I relocated to Alabama. Uh, I had the opportunity to participate in a, uh, a very deep educational experience um, headed up by Dr. Fernando Flores. Uh, he was uh, part of a company or owned a company called Business Design Associates. And he kind of, what he is or was, I think he passed away, the father of what we call the basic action workflow. Uh, and it's all about communications uh, and developing uh, around speech acts. Speech acts are requests, offers, assessments, assertions, declarations. Each one of those has specific meanings and produces a different set of listening in the listener and action coming out of that speech act. Uh, having gone through that education and uh, understanding the distinction between those speech acts and putting that in context of a conversation and the, the communication and the action that you want to come out of that conversation was enlightening to me. If you ever get the opportunity, uh, you can buy his book. I think his wife has published it. It's, uh, it's on uh, Amazon. You can get it there. Uh, it's called, uh, I think I wrote it down and I'd be happy to share it to you. It's uh, The Other Side of Speaking. Basic elements of building commitments and the other side of speaking. Because the best part of speaking is listening, quite frankly. Yeah. I think that's another thing we, we often hear about is getting your message out there. And, and we talk less about the thing that yeah. is, is yeah. getting the message from somebody else yeah. and internalizing that and being able to, yeah. to reproduce something that's usable. The, hard, the hardest part for me in, in going through this whole process uh, was becoming more extroverted 
and learning to check my ego at the door because your ego, be it big or small, and we all have one. Some of us may not know where it is, but we do have one. Uh, you can't let that get away if, in light of the conversation and the communications. Yeah, I think that's really important, and I think it's it's something that is particularly uh, important as a contractor because you have to remember that you're working for someone else. You're working their mission, and their mission needs to be yours. Like you said, you, the customer comes first. Uh, Chris, in your experience, you know, tell me a little bit about how you try to accept the customer's mission and, and be a listener. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> that's what we're here for. We ask the tough questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's making sure you, you find the right, at least for me, the right avenue of communication. Um, some of our customers prefer early mornings, some of them prefer late at night, some of them want an email, some of them want a phone call, some of them want you to just come by and stand at their desk and talk about grilling or food or whatever it may be, and then there'll be a nugget of, um, oh yeah, by the way, can you make sure your team is focused on this? Some of them will rattle on to you about the basis for the metric system and you've got to unwind you know what it is that they're actually talking about because I'm sure they didn't bring you in there for an hour-long conversation about uh, Celsius and, and meters. Um, I mean unless we're working for NIST right? Unless we're working for NIST yeah. Um, so I think that's that's really the the strategy and um, one of the challenges with that is making sure you're um, aware of what what it is they're looking for um, from that communication style and then adapting yourself. Um, I think that chameleon piece is pretty good. So. Yeah, it's great. I think um, as, as we talk about this and we talk about uh, the, the goals of the customer and the goals of yourself and, and how to check your ego, uh, I think that this is a good time. And I mentioned earlier this idea of like the organization that you work for, our, our company, Blackstone, having some goals that may or may not align directly with the customer. Uh, when you talk about organizational growth, and I think of this a lot of ways like a, a metaphor for personal growth, like the things that happen as an organization grows are similar to as a person grows. Uh, organizationally, I think, Wayne, you've, you've probably experienced a lot of different size companies, you know, from small business to, to IBM. When you see organizational growth, what are some of the, the pain points or some of the things that you've seen done well or not well there? Well, I guess it really depends uh, in a big company like IBM. Uh, they don't move fast, right? Yeah. So that's a pain. That's a real pain. It's a pain as an employee to see how slow it reacts to the marketplace. On the other hand, a very small company, may an inhibitor to their growth could be the, uh, the attraction and retention of highly skilled professionals. And, and so the challenges are very, very Deeply rooted in some, you know, size scope of the company for sure. So, I don't really know. Uh, having been locked in the in the elephant for <laughs> thirty three and a half years, you know, uh, I can really say from a, from a small business perspective, uh, having worked with so many small business, their growth has always been to, to like I said, track, retain, and find new business opportunities that would allow them to expand their scope of services uh, either directly with a company, uh, with a prime, or with the, the client. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Chris, you and I had talked about this as, as something that we feel like, you know, Blackstone is going through a growth period. Uh, we've operated in, in a lot of ways like a small company for some time, and now we're starting to grow to a point where some of those things aren't really working or they're not going to work the same way. We have to figure out ways to be more organized, not to be, you know, unable to move quickly, but, you know, take the good things that we have uh, agile wise from a, from a small company perspective, but also try to grow and, and be a cohesive unit. Uh, can you give me some of your thoughts there? Um, yeah, I think you, you've pretty much already summed it up. And, um, <laughs> you know, one of the, the pieces of that, when I, when I started here, um, I think we had like 40, 45 mm -hmm. uh, consultants in federal. Um, we're now nearing, if not over 100, Blackstone direct employees wow. in federal. Um, and I, I think with that has been a lot of uh, pain, um, growth pains. Not bad, just struggles. And, and as you go through those, uh, one of the unique things that we have an opportunity to do 
uh, given our size, is to define how do we want to operate. Uh, we're not taking a, a standard process that was handed down from uh, you know, a, a big five company and just forcing it in. We're, we're actively working and really reliant on all of our employees to uh, put forth ideas, to identify problems, and then uh, more importantly, to, to provide the solutions and make a recommendation. And if we, we try it and, and it works, great. If it doesn't work, that's okay too. Are there any particular pain points that come to mind for you when you think about this? And you talked about some of the um, some of the processes there. Yeah, I mean, there's always the the internal operations, right? Keeping pace with staffing demands and um, making sure people know where they're supposed to go on the first day. Those are all um, kind of mechanical, but critical to your operations. Um, probably the other challenge is is establishing a team that has a unified vision, and by that I mean big team, Team mm -hmm. Blackstone. Um, you know. Do we have that commonality of vision and purpose um, so that we act um, with our customers and with each other with the right urgency and focus? Right. I mean, I think that strikes right at what we've been talking about is striking that balance between the, the goals of the, the unit of Blackstone versus the, the, the client site, which, of course, you know, if we have more than one contract, those missions could be, you know, disparate on their own. Uh, Wayne, in, in your experience, you know, working for these, these various companies and, and contracts within IBM, how do you, how do you balance that? You know, how do you, how do you try to figure out a way to work across different missions if, if that comes up and, and have a cohesive it, thought? It, it's a challenge. Uh, first of all, you have to know your client. The, the needs and uh, requirements of NOAA, as an example, are totally different than Homeland Security. Right. And so, uh, not only do you as a, as a leader, uh, but your consulting and your project teams need to understand uh, the intricacies of those organizations. And, and, you know, everybody has a mission, and it's pretty easy to read a mission statement. It's probably two sentences. Mm -hmm. It's how that's internalized by the organization and your ability to support that organization and be able to make offers to improve uh, their performance. Uh, they hired you uh, for two things. One, you got a skill they don't have. Or two, they need more skill because they've got a timeline or a budget to meet. And so they're looking for your company uh, and the badges that you carry as Blackstone and the reputation that Blackstone brings in terms of your vision, your mission, your, and, 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 and your attributes of the organization, they want to take that and learn from it. They really do. They, they see positive things. That's why you're there. And they respect that in most cases. Hi there, my name is Alexis Grems. I am the newest recruiter here at Blackstone. I work alongside Connor Johnson to find great Blackstonians to join the team. We are looking for some cloud engineers. Uh, anything to do with cloud migration is a really big hit for us here on the hot jobs list. Senior Atlassian, any sysadmins that you guys may know would be really helpful. Jira is also really big right now. Definitely a, a hot job for us. Under Chris Zeke that you guys might uh, remember from earlier on the episode, we're looking for some Linux sysadmins. Web developers, definitely looking for some great ones of those. And then just a typical business analyst, maybe with some IT background. If you know any friends that sort of match those job descriptions, hit us up. Connor and I can be reached at our emails. Mine is agrems at bstonetech.com. Connor's is cjohnson at bstonetech.com. Uh, and all of these can also be found on our job list, which is on our website. So just go on to blackstonefederal.com, hit that link to the uh, job boards, and take a look, see if any of your friends match. Back to you, Patrick. Yeah, it's a good point. And I, um, I think about this and, and trying to put all this stuff together. It's, it's being part of the team. And that team could be, you know, Team Blackstone, or it could be the team that's serving the customer mission. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chris, I think you've done a lot of this stuff of, you know, building the team, managing the team. You know, how do you do that? Like, what's being part of a team? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think um, as I've grown into the role, uh, I guess my approach to that is is changing over time uh, and trying to be better about it. Um, but first and foremost, the thing that we, we try to do is, is um, 
a little bit of unwinding together, uh, go to the first four conference room, uh, make sure that we understand where each other's at, what are we facing. Um, you know, some, some folks may have a challenge that I don't, I don't hear about, mm -hmm. and I may not need to hear about it, but if it's, if it's bothering them at the end of the day, uh, we got to find a way to help, help each other succeed. Um, that I was always really impressed with, the teams that you were part of. Yeah. So. I, I, I've been blessed to have uh, great teams. Uh, and great teams come from a couple of things. Most of all the team members that I've been around, they were very personable. I, I mean, they, they were, you like to be around them. Well, if I like to be around them, our clients like to be around them. And so uh, at the end of the day, we talked about communication. The fundamental element of communication, and after you get a request or you make an offer, you have to deliver. You have to fulfill the promises that you make to the conditions of satisfaction that hopefully you and your client have agreed upon. And that loop, if you will, creates trust. And that, that is the bottom line of what you're being judged upon as a company delivering to your client. Do I trust them? Do I trust them in terms of their skill? And do I like being around them? I mean, I, I think that's great. And I, I always wonder, is it, is it chicken and the egg kind of thing? You know, yeah. Do you have the trust in your team because you delivered? Or did you deliver because you had the trust in the team? Like, what, what is your thought there? Yeah, yeah. I think you have to earn the trust. Uh, and that trust will come from very small things. It comes, first of all, from the one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have within the team and your leader of the team. And then secondly, with your client. Uh, it's, it, it starts with the smallest of the smallest. It could be an offer like bring me donut holes. It, it, Madison built, I got a lot of trust in whoever bought the donut holes. That's Nick. <laughs> he delivered. That's the start of a relationship. And that relationship grows over time with bigger, stronger, more empathetic type offers. Perhaps an entire donut? Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> uh, Chris, a similar, similar question for you. You know, um, what, do you, what do you feel like? Is it a chicken and the egg type of thing for you? Do you, do you feel like it's galvanized by delivering? or That's, that's always been my default um, mm -hmm. is to do the delivery first and, and focus on that. And I, I think that's probably been the wrong approach, honestly. So you need to start with the people mm -hmm. and then go from there. That's great. I mean, I, I, I always struggle with this and I love to ask this question because I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I've been blessed to be a part of teams that were successful and, you know, there was a, there was a strong team element there. We cared about the people that were there as much as we did about the mission and what we were trying mm -hmm. to do. And, uh, if even had cases where the, the project did not work out, but the people that were there, you know, I still consider friends to this day, even though we don't work together. Um, so, you know, I do, I do wonder if it's, if it's always a delivery thing, you know, if it's something that you have pride in as a team, sometimes that is delivering in, in another way. Um, so I, I wanted to also build on this idea of building trust and mm -hmm. something that's very important here at Blackstone Federal is this idea of innovation and something that we want to make sure that we're always bringing to the table, the extra, you know, and I feel like, um, building that trust within the team and also with our clients helps us pitch these ideas as innovation and, and do these things that may be slightly outside of the scope that may be in a, you know, a hard SUW mm -hmm. that we bring something different to the table. Uh, Wayne, in your experience, you know, were there any cases where there were something like that, where you did something extra that the team or the trust that you built with a particular, maybe a team or a client that allowed you to do some innovating? Yeah. I give it a, one, one example that we had with Mercedes Benz down in Tuscaloosa. Uh, we, we brought a, a wealth of knowledge out of Detroit and uh, across the country and the world to help to build this, this, this plant. And uh, Mercedes-Benz was looking to build a, a new product in a new place with new processes, with new people. So it was totally a greenfield. And uh, the innovation that came um, was from, from a client's perspective, was, was adaptation of uh, bits and pieces of the Toyota production system, mm -hmm. which Deming is pretty famous for. Uh, from our perspective, 
to implement some of those uh, production systems, um, some of the technology was the inhibitor. Oh, really? Uh, quite frankly, there wasn't an MRP system out there that was fast enough to explode a bill uh, and, and config, configure an order, explode a bill, and schedule and sequence uh, the just-in-time delivery that we, we needed. And we actually went, uh, took a very small team, uh, I think it was between five and seven guys and gals, that worked on uh, a fast MRP solution. And uh, it went through a lot of trial and error. Uh, back then, um, we didn't call it agile. We called it iterative application development, or sometimes toilet bowl development, because we would <laughs> Throw out flush. Throw out flush. Chris, I'd like to mention that we officially change any reference to Agile at this company to toilet bowl. Can we do that? TBD. Yeah. TBD. <laughs> the TBD process. Uh, but there was a lot of failure. And every time the team failed, it brought forward more questions, more innovation. And eventually, we ended up with a fast MRP. Uh, subsequently, Bond, which was the MRP uh, package of choice, uh, put it into their standard package. SAP emulated it. I, too, emulated it. And uh, one of our subcontractors that helped develop it started his own company around it. Wow. That's, that's impressive. I think that's, that's going to be a goal for us now, is to have other people stealing our innovations. Uh, that is <laughs> fantastic. Chris, any, uh, anything on, on your scale in your, in your career here at Blackstone where you particularly – you talked about us iterating some of the things as we're growing organizationally. Are there any other things that come to mind for you as far as – I think um, we talked earlier about some of the core values, and innovation is at the center of that. Um, I think our, the thing that enables us to do that with our, our customers is our unique ability to connect the dots – uh, between different organizations uh, within the federal space, uh, which opens those doors for us to try something new. Um, sometimes we've had big innovations. Uh, we've supported moves to the cloud, uh, the adoption of open source technologies in the space. Um, we've done a lot to uh, help streamline and improve the acquisitions framework uh, within DHS. Um, we've also started to push forward on DevSecOps and, and, and pushing some of these, these more modern operating models into, into place. Um, some of our other innovations have been smaller, uh, but they've been just as impactful. Um, daily interactions with a, a CR process that's broken or um, improving the way we triage uh, SharePoint issues that are coming in for the, for the entire organization. Um, the teams are identifying these problems at the ground and, and putting forward solutions through their, through their relationships with their service owners and their teams, uh, and they're, they're delivering high value, even if it's uh, these, they aren't these massive overhauls that we have maybe when, with an MRP solution, mm -hmm. but um, just as impactful. Yeah. And I, I love the way that you describe that because I, I think it really hits home for what we've been talking about really as our theme is that it's communications, it's relationship, and it's trust that allow you to do these things and, and really get the job done. And that is a cycle. You, know, you, you gain that trust by delivering, and you can continue to deliver by building on that trust. So I think that's just an awesome way to... To wrap that up, because I'm, I'm going to now give us uh, a couple of questions that were provided by our HR people. So don't, uh, don't blame me for these. HR. <laughs> oh, she's here. At least it's not legal. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, I'm going to pose these questions to both of you, and you guys can draw straws to who goes first. Okay. So if you had to do something over again, what would it be and why? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, ironically, I'd love to join, have joined a company as creative and innovative as Blackstone. I am so impressed with this organization. It's really cool. That's fantastic. We're posting that. Tweet it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, my <laughs> yeah, I think for me, um, kind of hinted at it earlier, it would be to take more advantage of um, the opportunities with uh, mentors and leaders, um, you know, to elevate my perspective and not get lost in the day-to-day -day, uh, minutia of tasks and to have a more of a um, more direction um, over the skills that I wanted to build and the projects I wanted to be involved in. And um, that was early on. And, and breaking with that pattern and coming to Blackstone has been a big step in that direction. But um, I, I certainly waited a long time to make that move. 
It's it's a hard thing to do, you know. I I think about this a lot because you know personally, um, you know, I had a, a bit of a career before I came here, and I I often look back on that thinking I should have made that move a lot earlier to do something for myself, um, and it's it's just a difficult thing to do. So I, I can sympathize with that. Uh, next up with us is this one is my favorite. So you're not gonna take my answer, which is slippery <laughs> when wet. <laughs> if I came with a warning label, what would it be? Oh, so for me, um, failure to delegate appropriately uh, may cause undue stress. It's <laughs> definitely my warning label. That's excellent. Uh, Wayne? I would think my warning would be I expect you to deliver to exceed my expectations. So too high of expectation? I love that. It's fantastic. It's like I, I work too hard. That's my warning label. <laughs> um, so, Wayne, I have, I have one more for you, and this is uh, a word of advice for your son here on the, on the video and the podcast. Yeah, yeah. One word, or can I give more than you one You can word? give as many as you want. Well. I don't think we're going to run out of tape, so you can go as long as you want. Very good. Uh, <laughs> advice for Chris. Uh, and and he, he and his mama... Uh, have had a lot of conversations about this, and so on. So have I. As I look back on my career, I mean, one of the things I would have done different would had, and I'd, my advice would be, you have to make sure you balance uh, your your life with your work. You have to keep family uh, in the mainstream. The minute you lose your priority and focus on on your family, uh, because of so many work commitments. Uh, you're headed for trouble, dark waters. Um, you know, just continue to build on your image and your reputation and your trustworthiness. That's the name of the game. And, and to do that, we talked about listening, uh, to be adaptable, and, you know, deliver on your promises. Um, in the end, uh, play nice. Play nice with your friends and your family and, and your teams. Uh, and and always be humble and kind, like your sister. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, uh, you know, for you, I, um, give us one thing that you've learned from your dad. Yeah, so there's a few things, and he's he's hit on most of them today. Um, the importance of humility and ability to relate to folks, uh, no matter what level they're at, or um, what your past experiences may be, or your your ego. Um, and then also commitment to teams. And, and we've talked a lot about work teams, but um, he's also got a commitment to family and to community and a lot of um, teams outside of the professional realm that um, the commitments never, never drop. Yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. And, and now I think uh, we want to get to the portion of the show where we're going to let some people from the audience ask some questions. So... Uh, Anybody out there got anything on your mind? Do we have a mic to hand out there like Donahue style? Fortunately, I did not <laughs> set that up. Uh, question for Wayne. Uh, so you talked a lot about having to constantly learn, constantly grow. Um, and you've talked about having to have, uh, or how beneficial it is to have a mentor to help you uh, grow and learn. What are some other strategies that you've employed uh, in trying to grow your, your knowledge base and skill set uh, for each of your clients? Yeah. I think, you know, with the advent of the Internet, and got to remember, when I joined IBM in 82, there wasn't, there wasn't Internet, but it wasn't really an Internet. There was a thing called Profs, <laughs> which was a VM-based system that you could actually, uh, you know, ping somebody. Uh, but today, uh, there is so much wealth of, of uh, information on the Internet, self-help kind of things, that that I find very, very useful. Um, I find it also uh, being connected um, with a small men's group through my church. And it's not all about, discussions are not always about politics or religion. It's, a, lot of, a lot of these guys aren't retired. And uh, we talk about the day-to-day -day challenges that we're faced with at work. And, and as a group, help each other figure out how to respond to those issues or concerns that, that they may have. So support groups are a great way to continue to grow. Out of every one of those conversations, you'll be enriched. 
Chris, I know um, you know you have your your, your your dad as a mentor. Are there any other uh, ways that you you've found the the seek out that kind of mentorship in, in different phases of life? And then you talked about um, you know it's not just a professional thing that you need to be able to grow and, and have those relationships. Yeah. Uh, so for me, actually, uh, my men's group is a, a beer league hockey team called the Larrys. <laughs> uh, we play Tuesdays or Thursdays up in Rockville. Um, fans welcome. Fans are welcome. Admission is free. Um, and, and similar to, to his discussion on the men's group, um, range of expertise. And the only thing we have in common, really, at the end of the day is, is hockey and that we've all got something um, to, to do outside of work. And that's been a really good source of, of mentorship. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I have two questions. Uh, the first is, uh, well, I'll ask the second one, but you can tell me that later. But I really am looking forward to an embarrassing childhood story um, from our own Chris Seek. So um, please circle back to that. But um, uh, I would be curious to hear a little bit more about a couple pieces of advice that I don't think are necessarily conflicting, but might be perceived as such. So um, you advise that a good consultant should be extroverted. Um, but simultaneously listen and listen hard mm -hmm. and also always be serving the client. And I think in particularly the federal space, um, I, I see that kind of a more deferential attitude um, gets you further. So I'd be curious to hear more about how you kind of uh, walk both those lines of being extremely extroverted, but also always. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things your client is looking for uh, in these conversations is you to take, give you a different opinion. Uh, not, don't be argumentative by any means, but be gently persuasive, persuasive uh, to a new idea, to a new thought, a new business process perhaps, uh, a new solution, uh, something that they see uh, could add value and reduce Cycle times make their job easier because everybody wants to have an easier job. I, you feel like that is um, building on the idea of, of understanding your customer and that trust, right? I mean, doing the mission in a way where you're adding something to them, you can be a little bit more, I guess, innovative or, or assertive in saying mm -hmm. this is a thing that we can do that's going to help you. Right, right. Um, Chris, any thoughts there? I'm sorry, you're going to have to repeat the question. <laughs> uh, and, you know, in your experience, the, the trust building that, that happens with the client and understanding the mission, is that, is that the thing that allows you to be a bit more assertive rather, rather than deferential? Yeah, I think tying back to what Leah was asking, um, you know, maybe, maybe extroverts, maybe not necessarily the right word, um, but it's the ability to, to have that confidence um, to put forward the idea. And, again, we've talked about leveraging the relationships. And um, you don't have to be everybody's best friend, and you don't have to be um, the one up on the podium. There's a lot of avenues that you can have very impactful and influential conversations. And if um, quietly in the background is your style, yeah. you know, maximize that. Yeah, I think um – I think I think what Leo was alluding to is is correct that being extroverted isn't necessarily conflicting right. with with getting uh, where you want and and listening to the client. I think right. that's something that's just uh, it's a nuance, but it's definitely uh, something worth bringing up. And then an embarrassing story about oh, you didn't forget okay. that one. <laughs> let me uh, let me give you one uh, like a little bit of a follow on, and I thought you were going to bring this up, Chris. Um, one of my good buddies uh, that we hired at Mercedes uh, came up with, and I think a lot of, he had a lot of thinking to do, I guess, when he was in the, in the service and, uh, and after the Mercedes project. Because it was like being in the service at times with the Germans, uh, very autocratic and, you know, very direct, which is a good thing. So that reputation so, is a real thing. It's a real thing, especially of those Mercedes engineers. <laughs> Uh, he, he, well, I said, Craig, I said, Craig, why, why, how, how do you just like deal with life? People, we were having a conversation like mm -hmm. this. And he said, I can sum it up in three words. I said, oh, what, 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 what's that? He says, well, it's an acronym, PPH. He said, positive attitude, perspective, and humor. I said, well, explain that to me. I mean, I, I know what the words mean but what's the inner relationship between these words? He said, if you ever feel like your positive attitude's dwindling or you've lost perspective, insert some humor, and you'll get back on track 
real quick. So PPH with yourself and with your client does wonders. Uh, I wish I had known that when Chris was little because his sister, he, you wait, seven years older than your sister? Yeah. yeah seven, seven years old. His sister. He was born in Silver Spring. She was born in Birmingham. I have to change my bank questions now. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> one, day, uh, one day, uh, he decided that we live in a two-story house and, and the stairs going up. He was hanging her over the, ba- the banister. <laughs> and and I, that's not a good management style. <laughs> somebody over the banister and scare him to death. And on top of that, he intimidated her because he took all of her little uh, stuffed animals and he tied them to the ceiling fan. <laughs> so innovative from an early age. He, well, yeah, so there's promise here. We, I, I, he, and then one time we came home. Well, this is the last one. One time, <laughs> one time uh, we had just finished off our baseball. We had the pool table and the ping pong top that goes on it. And his friends come over and, and uh, apparently had a little party in the basement. And they were shooting firecrackers. Remember that? Did, yeah. <laughs> in the house. <laughs> in the basement. Well, the fire marshal, I think, talked to him and. Made him aware of the, the challenges, but uh, oh no! <laughs> I'm very proud of him. He's turned out good. Thanks, Dad. Any other questions from the audience? All right. Well, uh, I want to thank you guys for doing this. It's fantastic. Thank you. Um, no, no better way. No better way to open the holiday season with, with, uh, than a little bit of family, so I appreciate that. Uh, for those of you listening out there, our uh, Blackstone Twitter handle is at BTG Federal. Uh, hashtag us podcast. Send us a question. Tell us if you love it or hate it, or we'll take the question and we will debate it. Uh, I'm your host, Patrick Elder. This has been Candidly, a Blackstone Federal podcast. <laughs>